0: Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for this bonus edition of the pod. Before we have a little short break now between, uh, well, between now and the start of the rugby championship, it's Sam Bruce's ever with Christy Doran alongside, who's joining us from Melbourne. Uh, Cheeky little weekender away on the on the way, mate? Just a, yeah, just a small couple of days down here. I can tell you it was bloody cold
1: yesterday, but better today. Blue skies, just a hint of breeze, which is what you expect. But um, I suppose a couple of the big, big uh, news stories doing the rounds, not just with the All Blacks, but you know, it's I worked to a message from you this morning as well, and we, you know, the, the the heavy kind of heart almost and the sad news that friend of the pod, Ed Slater, unfortunately, um, you know, he's got M, M- uh, motor neuron disease, and and that's just. Um, been announced today and, and therefore his retirement. But we probably it's certainly it's, it's kind of shocked the world, hasn't it? And, and, and he's not the only rugby player that, that has it. But um, our thoughts are with him and his family. And it was great to have him on the podcast just a, just a month ago, you know, in the lead up to the opening test against
0: England. Absolutely. It was a uh, fantastic guy. As you might remember, I played with him here at East in Sydney um, and the insights he gave on that pot, I think he isolated both Ellis Genge and, and Billy vernapola and said those two were set for big series. And you know what? They did. T- uh, have massive series probably the uh, england's best outside of skipper courtney Laws. so yes we're all thinking about ed this morning down here in australia um there's a gofundme page out there that the gloucester have set up um of course played at leicester before that i'm sure there'll be huge support in the uh in the english rugby community and, and right across the global rugby community too so if anyone want to get involved in a donation there then uh, then seek that out on uh, wherever you are uh, on social media. Um, you mentioned the All Blacks, Christy. yeah uh, seems like a good place to start, given it's hot off the press. Uh, just over an hour ago, both Sam Kane and Ian Foster have been retained uh, for the Rugby Championship, uh, or for at least, uh, I guess, the start of the Rugby Championship with a couple of weeks in South Africa. Um, this has been a bizarre week in, in New, New Zealand rugby from top to bottom, hasn't it? Um, it started with the cancellation of the press conference on, on Sunday, then the obscure revelation by Joe Malcolm, the media manager saying she canceled it uh, via LinkedIn of all uh, mediums. Uh, 48 hours later, we learned that um, Akira Ioani and Justin Marshall had to be uh, held back from each other outside of Wellington night spot. Um, and amid all this New Zealand rugby have basically gone to ground. There's been no engagement on any of their social media channels and um, Nothing from New Zealand rugby apart from uh, Mark Robinson's statement on Sunday until today. Uh, this has been poorly handled right across the board. And I think a lot of uh, New Zealand rugby supporters are going to see this as a weak decision uh, from New Zealand rugby.
1: You're not wrong. Yeah, the weak decision culminating in the fact that, yes, yeah, Sam Kane continues as captain, Ian Foster, as, as coach. Yeah, look, it's... It's not surprising, though, is
0: it? Are you, are you surprised that we've come to this conclusion? I'm not. No, given what we've seen from New Zealand rugby in recent times, I'm I'm not at all. I uh, I did wonder. There was a report in the Otago Daily Times of all places yesterday suggesting that Sam Kane had been stripped of the captaincy. That proved to be incorrect. But, um, I mean, it's, it's more of what we have come to expect. And I'll give uh, Sumo C- Stevenson a shout-out for his article in the spinoff earlier this week, absolutely eviscerating New Zealand rugby and their behaviour, uh, maybe not their behaviour, the way they've conducted themselves yeah. and, and run their organisation uh, in recent times. And um, if you haven't seen that, go and seek it out on the spinoffs. Uh, but mate, to answer your question, no, I'm, I'm not surprised this is, this is the outcome.
1: No, nor, nor am I. And I think we, we kind of touched upon it on the podcast following the Third and final tests around the world, but um, for the July series. But um, you know, Liam Napier had kind of messaged through, going, "Oh, it's probably he'll probably be given one more chance, and he being Ian Foster, one more chance to see what can happen over in South Africa." Um, but good luck, two tests against the Springboks over there. We know the depth and the that they have. They came within a. Uh, one, or point, one or two points against Wales to, to with the second test despite making 14 changes so look that's going to be an almighty mighty task in front of them but we'll get an idea of whether or not the All Blacks are behind behind Ian Foster with you know how they front up and I asked Carlos Spencer I spoke to him on Wednesday in fact and asked him you know do you think changes need to be made and this is a guy that spent a couple of years coaching back in New Zealand rugby recently and and he said, "Look, it. It. He didn't think changes necessarily needed to be made, but maybe there was some minor tweaks around the group that had to be made. But he. He. He was pretty strong on um, their defensive effort, not having enough line speed on the attack, which has gone missing at times on the forward play, on the ill discipline. But he. <clears throat> I asked him whether or not uh, the belief." if if players if they don't believe in the coach does that mean you know does how how does that affect performance and he said look only the players there at the moment would be able to know whether or not they're getting up and playing for the coach but that's a big one and we haven't quite seen enough from the All Blacks Mm -hmm. to indicate that there is that belief that they are behind the coach Um, whether or not a a, a, a figure like a Joe Schmidt comes into the calculations over the next couple of months. You can imagine that he might come in as a director of rugby, and then next minute, if if anything happens and they decide to farewell Ian Foster, that potentially he comes in and, and coaches the side. He's obviously got a World Cup experience behind him with Ireland, um, and their one success of the series against Ireland came with with Joe Schmidt pretty much taking on the coaching responsibilities, given that Fozzie was, was knocked about with, with COVID and wasn't allowed to be with the side as much as he usually would. So, yeah, not, not surprised by it. And we know from when 2007, after the World Cup, New Zealand rugby made the decision, no, we're not going to, to um, bid farewell to the coaches. We're not going to have a mass overhaul. We're going to stick the journey with, uh, with Richie McCall. And we know that that worked. Um, And it worked from 2011 into 2015 and perhaps crumbled with each passing final year under Steve Hansen. So I wonder whether or not they've decided, no, that is the right path at the moment is to get closer, get tighter and see what can happen. But geez, you know, Ian Foster has been a part of that coaching group for a long, long time. Um, He's been there. Has it become stale? Possibly, but, you know, from from selection, and that, and that's what Justin Marshall kid out at on on C N C E N Radio, um, SEN Radio rather um, earlier in the week, which was look their their selection hadn't been great at times, and that is still something that's plaguing them at the moment. So and plaguing the Wallabies for that matter as well. So we'll see, and we'll find out a little bit more about that in, in the coming weeks.
0: Schmidt definitely does appear to be this, I guess, a plan B or the fallback option should things continue to go the way they are. Fossa revealed he helped pick the squad for the rugby championship, which, mind you, features very few changes, really only um, Carl Tuanuki-Affey and uh, Peter Gus Soakula, who I really hope doesn't end up a one-test all-black and perhaps has to wait another three years to potentially line up for Fiji. Um he's been dumped out. Uh, they've got some cover in the form of uh, De Groot, uh, Josh Dixon and uh, Braden Enall for the the other players, Ritalik and Tarvao. And I think Jack Goodhue, who are, you know, on the short term injury list. Um, but one thing I was just thinking about the last couple of days, Christy, I was thinking back to Richie McCaw and, and how this team, uh, not only on the field, but, but off the field carried itself. And, some of the things that have happened since Richie's exit, if you go back to, to 2016, um, Aaron Smith in the Christchurch toilet, Jerome Kino getting himself in a bit of strife, uh, what we saw the other night with Akira Iwani. Um Now, either that was very, things like this were very well covered up in New Zealand under Richie's reign, or they just didn't happen. Now, for me, I think it's probably the latter. We know how well he ran things and the respect that he carried within the team and right across New Zealand rugby. I wonder if these absence has left a greater um, hole off the field or at least as much as it has on the field. And, um, you know, I, I just don't think you would have seen those scenes on, on Saturday night um, after the test that we learned about midweek with, with the uh, Yuani and, and Marshall um, had Richie still been around. Well, i tell you what, it,
1: I, it would have been about four or five years ago that Rod Kafer um, started calling and, 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 started noticing the arrogance that had, that had come in on New Zealand rugby. And he was quite open about it. He was quite scathing around some of the treatment, some of the access, some of the non-access. And people like Ian Foster were part of that. Um, look, it's been a continual slippery slope over re- the recent years. And to go back to Scotty sumo Stevenson, he's been one that has been calling it out. And he's been probably the only one in New Zealand rugby circles that has done that. Um, he's been criticized in some circles, but he's got a huge amount of respect in other circles too. And, you know, there's, there's, we've, we've spoken about it. We've, we've identified some of the issues from um, that has been addressed and brought to a head by Hamish McLennan, who is clearly been quite outspoken about yep. over the last couple of years. But uh, one of the things that comes back to me and my thoughts is when John was all, and, and Sterling Mortlock has spoken about that in the past is that when, when there's a real alignment between captain coach and CEO, things t- tend to go pretty well. I'm not sure if there's that same alignment at the moment with New Zealand rugby uh, currently, as it stands, um, there seems to be issues from top to bottom and, you know, some of the issues and we might, mentioned this with the Wallabies and perhaps Michael Hooper later is there was a, a massive talking point for three or four, five, six years with, with Australian rugby and the Wallabies was whether or not you could play both Michael Hooper and David Pocock in the same starting 15, you know, both of them open side flankers, yet yet because of their brilliance and their respective brilliance, they were, they were included in the same 15, whether or not and I, um, and I see a lot of those same issues at the moment in New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks where they're trying to squeeze as many good players as they can into that 15 and probably compromising the actual balance of the squad. And we see that, I think, with Sam Kane and Artie Sevilla. I think Artie Sevilla would be, in the last three, four years, up there in the top five best players in the world. And the Premier open side flank are probably down south. Um, at the moment, he's playing out of position. We saw a a really odd situation where he wasn't able to come back in, into the action down in Dunedin and the second test defeat to Ireland. But I think we can, despite Sam Kane being as good and great a player as he is, Artie Sevilla is is one of the absolute best at the moment. He's playing out, out of position.
0: And the All Blacks had a, an opportunity, not through their own doing, to kind of avert this this news line, this narrative that's around now on exactly what you've been talking there on uh, on Kane and, and Sevilla, given that Sam Kane was out for so much of last year Sam Whitelock was instigated uh, as the captain retained it when Kane returned later in the year now had they had the foresight and uh, for sorry foresight to to see what potentially what was was going on or what might happen and, and how good Artie Sevilla's form had been how they couldn't see that I'm not sure that surely they could have thought, well, hang on, we can just kind of duck a, you know, pass this off as we're just c- continuing the the flow that the team's got under under Sam Whitelock here. And and maybe, you know, they, a tough conversation with Sam Kane, no doubt would have hap- had to have happened at the time, but it would have certainly averted the situation that we're in now. So, um, yeah, look, it sets up a fascinating couple of tests in the Republic, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, it certainly does. And on that point, uh, in an interview with Scott Robertson a couple of months ago now, one of the things I asked him was how the heck you turned the Crusaders around from not winning a super rugby title between 2008 to 2016. They've now won six. What did you do? And he said, the first thing that I did was make a change in the captaincy. And it was a tough conversation. It was a big, big call as he said, and he brought in Sam Whitelock ahead of the all blacks captain, Kieran Reed, who was captaining the Crusaders at the time. And I know that this is a Crusaders, a domestic provincial outfit, but It was still a big captaincy shift. We saw just recently with Courtney Lord coming over the top of um, uh, continuing in the captaincy role in the absence of of, uh, Owen Farrell. Eddie Jones decided to stick with Courtney Laws. There was something there that resonated. And as as Eddie said, it was a tough conversation and Owen Farrell was very unhappy by not getting the captaincy. Big calls have to be made. And I'm not sure if, if New Zealand did that for whatever reason it, they decided not to, but is it, yeah, it looks like the uh, the chickens are coming home to roost at the moment.
0: Yeah. Big calls uh, do have to be made in professional sport, no matter uh, the variety of, uh, and there'll be a lot of people in New Zealand today thinking that the big calls have not been made by New Zealand rugby. So uh, anyway, I can't wait for those two tests. I just checked before in Mombola, I think, uh, excuse my, um, lack of knowledge of where that is in South Africa, followed by uh, Johannesburg. So two uh, massive games to come there as there are massive games to come for the Wallabies uh, in Argentina with their 36 uh, man squad for um, the At least the first two tests against uh, the Pumas away uh, announced yesterday. A uh, few new faces um, at the top of the list, obviously, Rory Arnold under the, the gido law with Samu Karevi away on the Commonwealth Games' duty. And we'll speak a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, Jock Campbell, whom you flagged uh, in our Monday pod, mate. A great call from you getting the nod there to come in and I guess add a little bit of um, depth at fullback or certainly a bit of a point of difference from someone, say, uh as a Reese Hodge uh and then also Fraser McWright, Iray Simone, uh Matt Gibbon, and one more oh, as uh Lalakai Fiketti as well. Thank you, Faketti. Yeah. To add a bit of depth uh, in the centers, clearly with Karevi gone. So a few changes there. Uh let's start with I think uh let's start with Arnold. Um I mean is it a worry again a bit like Quaid and a bit like James O'Connor and these other guys who haven't played recently um dave even admitting yesterday that he perhaps is carrying a a wee bit of a niggle um they'll make a call on him probably next week whether they'll be able to get him up for the first test uh but certainly some some you know some doubts around uh his ability to come in and i guess hit the ground running as well as we know he can
1: yeah and it was an interesting one because he was pressed by a couple of us on that on that zoom press conference asking whether or not um you know what's going to happen in a couple of weeks when Samu Karibi is back. You know who makes way because, as we know, we've been talking about for months. Four doesn't go into three, and in the case of if you add five, Will Skelton, five doesn't go into three either. Um, you know, people like Liam Gill not even entering the equation at this point in time. So it's it's a really fascinating dynamic, and and he Dave Rennie himself admitted, look. going to have to have these conversations with the rugby australia board the high performance board and people like dan herbert and phil war are tasked with um if dave is is looking for a fourth player they have to go through the board but from my understanding having spoken to ra sources those conversations haven't started whether or not they entertained we'll wait and see but they hadn't even been raised at this point in time so It'll be fascinating because they had a clear plan uh, later in the year. From my understanding, none of the Japanese um, contingent were going to be involved for end of season spring tests, which would allow for people like Will Skelton to come into the mix. Replicate last year's setup. Quite possibly, but um you know, I, we we saw how how effective Marika Korobetti was against uh, England. You know, he was close to Australia's best player over the three tests. Samu Karevi was also immense. And even though there's been people that have criticised or, or or questioned why he was kicking more, I think we we might know that because people like Noel Liseo might not have a bigger boot as a as Samu Karevi. And and the twelve these days does have to particularly when you've got a Um, changing fullbacks etc etc to have a 12 that can kick is a really important thing so you know Quade Cooper we didn't even get to see there's questions as to will both he or or either of them as in James O'Connor or Quade Cooper be fit for next year's World Cup so there's a lot of uncertainty regarding who these three players might be what's most effective but I think what we saw is that the Wallabies need some more power-up in the tight five. And, and without an Isaac Rodder, who's an extremely good player, who's been in the World Cup, there is an element of these guys aren't the fittest product because Matt Phillip, as good as he is in the line-out, is he, is he one of the tough guys that's going to be able to really dent the, the game line like a Dan Vickerman could? I, I don't think so. Um Darcy Swain still looks like he's growing, and I think he's probably two or three years away from having that real physical presence where he can dominate physically. um, But he's not there yet, and of course, we saw a bit of his inexperience with being goaded by Johnny Hill there. So Nick Frost has come through, and he looks like a player, but he once again is two or three years away. Gonna need time. Yep. He's from that. So. You need some more meat on the bones. It's something that I've been thinking and and saying for some time. And that's where does three backs, is that the most effective use of those three? Or are all bets going to be off come next year's World Cup? And that's been a lingering rumour or thought process that that might happen. But at the moment, all we know is that three picks is what it will shape as for the foreseeable future anyway.
0: Going to be an interesting one to follow given uh how this, I guess, this ghetto law has has evolved, if you like, since it first came in um about three or four months out from the world cup in, in 2015. From memory, when it was just uh Gitz and uh, and Drew Mitchell originally, that 70 cap or seven years service reduced to 50 cap since, years, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and now back to uh the the five years or, or 30 tests, um. Lot to play out clearly, um, but there is going to be a decision have to be made there, as you say, around when when Samo comes back, because um, you know, along with uh, with Marika, as you say, they are you know almost the first two names on the team sheet right at the moment. Um, so, and with the injury crisis at lock, uh, as you mentioned, obviously they get Darcy Swain back now from suspension and um, and Jed Holloway is also fit. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, Jed's going to be short of a run and, and probably seen more of a six uh, from what we've heard from Dave uh, so far this year on, in terms of his uh, selection chances or even that versatile bench role in, a, in the mold of a, a Pete Samu rather than as a second row six, rather than a, a six, seven or eight as the, the case is with, Samu, um, a couple of other names I want to talk to about the squad yesterday. Uh, Christy, E-Ray Simone and Fraser McGrath. Let's start with e. Ray. Uh, An interesting one. I probably caught me fairly off guard because when a player like that announces he's he's going overseas, um, you really, you know, given the depth that there is there was previously in the midfield, you almost it's a bit of out of out of thought, out of mind situation, out of sight, out of mind situation, and. But he hasn't yet headed over for France. He's been included this in this squad for, for another opportunity uh, off the back of let's face it was a was a pretty darn good um, Super Rugby Pacific season that, that got better probably as it went on too. Scored a cracking try um, in the uh, in the semi final uh, against the Blues there um, that the Brumbies would eventually go on to lose. Um, still got that little bit of you know the not the brain fart or, or something akin to that of of a simple error. His hands can let him down at times, but I guess that the situation called for his um, uh, his call-up uh, on this occasion, given there was, you know, you probably just about scraped the the bottom of the barrel there in terms of players ready to to step in on short notice and and do some sort of a job at test level. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, look, I, I think you're playing Lalakai Fichetti
1: over him at this point in time. He's staying Absolutely. in rugby. He's going to be the back-up 12, I would imagine, to a Hunter Paisami Sami. It seems to me pretty obvious at the moment. A Paisami, Lenny Ketoua, 12 and 13. If anything happens to the two of them, Fiketti can play in either position. And Miro is there more as backup. And, and possibly as a when you've got two sides competing each other at training, you've got a Niro Simone who can play a 12 and has played a test level. Um, and, and we've got to make the point clear that Dave that Brenny highlighted that he's in there to fill a hole for this for this, two games, uh, yeah. These two games, and then uh, uh, you know, ho- hopefully Samu Karevi comes back in full health, and then therefore returns probably to the 12 jersey. So, yeah, look, it, it it doesn't surprise me completely. I know Simon Cron would be very keen to somehow get him back to the Western Force, but that's not likely to occur from what I understand anyway. Um, having spoken to a, a couple of people yesterday, but. Um, Fraser McWright's an interesting one. Um, you make mention of him. It's, it seems pretty obvious, doesn't it, that Dave Rennie is not going to play a specialist seven on the on the bench. No way. And he's like for like for Michael Cooper, who remains the world's captain. And one point or, or, or two or three times, Dave Rennie said yesterday, we're not going to hand out caps for you know just for the sake of keeping people happy. And you know that there's a there's a heavy um, Contingent of followers, fans, um, officials that want to see Fraser McGrite get given more opportunities. But let's face it, Pete Samu was probably, I think, the Wallaby's best back rower throughout the three tests. And he's a guy who can cover six, seven, and eight. Where well, he spoke about the fact that maybe the game on last Saturday probably suited a Pete Samu. And I'm interested to see the tactics around what the Wallabies do against an Argentinian side coached by Michael Checker, who the last two years have completely had a brick wall of defense, not necessarily having two or three men in defending the backfield, but having 14 in the front line. So that'll be fascinating to see what happens because Argentina will go hard at the breakdown. And I think they're going to kick more with the likes of a Buffelli in in the fullback and a, might be a Nico Sanchez a 10 or, or whoever it turns out to be. I think they'll kick a fair bit more than what the Wallabies saw underneath the Michael Checker coach side. Argentinian rugby likes to kick the ball. The Wallabies historically don't necessarily. So um, that's one of the reasons why I think Chek wanted to play running rugby to try to get back to what maybe the, the so-called DNA of Australian rugby is. But, some really fascinating um, tactical battles, but also selection battles over the next couple of weeks to play out.
0: I've just caught up with uh, the Pumas uh, Scotland Mini this morning, actually from the weekend in front of a full house, uh, fantastic stadium there uh, as they win after the final siren with uh, the man you mentioned there, Befelli, scoring out wide to, um, to secure the, the series win. Um, this is a team that's uh, going to be incredibly tough to beat at home. Uh, we know their story the last couple of years. Clearly now they've had a couple of games at home. The fans have been ecstatic to have them back on, on home soil. Um, uh, Michael Checker in there, as you mentioned, David Kidwell, former uh, NRL coach and, and player for a long while with uh, with a few teams, um, para. And I think the storm off the top of my head for uh, probably 10, 15 years ago. Now uh, he's there working at a defensive capacity, LR Anthony Seabold with, with England. Um, going to be uh, a, a real uh, intense start to the rugby championship. Now you think for the Wallowies given the position they're coming from um, just back to Fraser uh, momentarily, I, I wonder now it's very much looming like a, a situation that um, he's going to absolutely going to have to wait until Hooper's done, which, you know, in all likelihood would probably be the 2023 world cup. I think uh, there's, there's doubts he can probably go on to, to 2025, but about that same time, um, or at least early next year, even sooner, we're going to see Charlie Gamble. Uh, his uh, eligibility uh, come through, I think, in in early April, maybe April 3 or 4 is the official date. I'm starting to get the feeling that, in Dave Rennie's eyes anyway, that, that Charlie Gamble might be sitting above Fraser McRite when it comes to Test Match Rugby and, and perhaps what he brings in terms of uh, his ability to just a little bit more size and, um, a little bit lower to the ground and perhaps a little bit more bulk on there as well might be better suited to test rugby than perhaps Fraser McBride. So it's not exactly going to be a serene passage, is it, for Fraser once uh, Michael Hooper does hang them up? You're right.
1: And that's going to be a really interesting conversation, probably one of those tough conversations that need to be had. It was interesting that yesterday, Rennie said in regards to Sam Kane that, you know, A lot of people had to wait a long time behind Richie McCall. And, you know, that was probably a pretty pointed statement, I think. Um, Let's remember that Fraser's still pretty young, but one of his great – a couple of his great strengths are his um, uh, running ability, his ability to back up, um, got great hands, really good link player. And he does seem to have a real – knack and to be able to sniff out a a breakdown he's he's continually hard on the ball and it seems to come very natural to him so those sorts of things are appealing Um, he stands out like a sore thumb with his headgear and his long locks Um, I hope that he remains patient because I'd like to see him um, come into that mix and I, I reckon there will be opportunities this is a long long campaign there's 14 tests or so this year you know, if they go away in the spring tour, there's five tests. Like, that is, that's that's a really arduous kind of thing for Michael Hooper to back up and play 80 minutes, five weeks straight. Good luck. I, I think that there will be opportunities to come along the way. It'll be important for Fraser to take them because you're right. Charlie Gamble had a great, great season. Um, and put. To, he, he looks like a real complete body of work, to to um, paraphrase um, Morgan Teranui. So... That'll be interesting. The, the, the thing that stood out to me in this selection yesterday and, and during the press conference with Dave Rennie was around the 15. It seems so, so open at the moment. And there's, yep. seven, there's about seven names that you can reel off. And there's not one of them that you go, oh, this person's the fullback. And we'll go through them quickly. You've got, you know, I started with Tom Banks, Andrew Kelloway, moved to Tom Wright to um, Jordan Pettire. Jordan Patire with Tom Wright on the wing coming in. Um, you've now got uh, Reese Hodger who's now the so-called kind of incumbent. Um, Jock Campbell's included on the, on this tour. You have um, Kurtley Beale coming back to full fitness shortly, and would probably be available against the All Blacks. You know, there's seven players at fullback, and not one of them that you go. Mm. And it's interesting that Dave Rennie continues to keep the door ajar um, for him, despite the fact that Tom Banks is going to Japan. Oh, I, and I, and I, I made mention on Monday that Andrew Kellaway seems to me, to me, the bloke that, that looks a natural fit, a natural player at fullback who's not going to make many mistakes. Position he but,
0: played all through school. I watched him many times. And Jock Campbell
1: still, he has many of the same qualities as Andrew Kellaway. Now, I, you know, the other guys don't fill me with a great deal of hope at the moment in terms of... Um, consistency in terms of decision making and and people like Jordan Pataya is likely to probably to start at fullback I think but you know it, I think that what it what it means is Tom Wright and and Marika Corabetti if they're playing on the wings in that case neither of them bring a huge aerial prowess and Jordan Pettire's got that, Soli Von has got that But I think that the decision-making at fullback is going to be absolutely crucial over the coming months. And at some point, Dave Rennie is going to have to settle on it. And I don't think that Jock Campbell is the obvious candidate for him. But with Andrew Kellaway injured for some time, I think it's a great opportunity to go, is this guy the broker can be the conduit to the guys outside them? And that is, you know, in a Hunter Spice Army in the midfield who at times makes interesting decisions and not always takes the right choice to uh, Jordan Bataille maybe on a right wing and a Marika on a left wing. I think it provides some balance to have a good, calm head at fullback. And I would love to see Jock Campbell get given an opportunity. I don't think Reese Hodge is the answer. He's had so many opportunities and never quite taken them, I don't think, in the fullback jersey. I, I would dare say he's going to be featuring on the bench there, but there's some real big decisions that have got to be made very shortly.
0: You're absolutely right. And uh, when you look at it to next year, I tell you to be a brave individual to try and select the, the back, the makeup of the back three, absolutely. You'd have Marika Corabetti Korobiti, sorry, uh, on the left wing, but to, to nail down your names for, for 14 and 15 at this point, I reckon you'd have Buckley's of getting what uh, might end up in the first game of the World Cup next year, given what we've seen uh, in terms of injuries and selection and, and whoever else has, has been there. And, you know, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Dave, would consider bringing Tom Banks, um, you know, uh, back as one of the, although he's not going to be eligible, is he? He's, he's, well, uh, he would he? Yeah, he probably would be under eligible from a Super Rugby perspective. from a Super Rugby perspective. So, I, I, given what he said about Tom in in recent years, I, I think he holds him in really high regard. So, I'm not even ruling it that out at this stage
1: which is has got to be baffling given the fact that in 20 tests uh, and unfortunately his last one ended up to 20 minutes with a horrible broken arm and he didn't get the opportunity to have three tests there and, and hopefully you know change perception but he wasn't kicking to the corner even in those first 20 minutes and one of the reasons there is for his kicking game but you know my final point with that is Dave and you also spoke about the counter-attack or the Wallabies frustrations with their counter-attack against England. And that is Dave Rennie's portfolio also as coach. He kind of runs that. And he also took ownership, of the fact that yep. that didn't play out as well as possible. The best counter-attacking full maybe outside of Kirtley Bill, who has obviously been injured, is Jock Campbell. Jock Campbell counter-attacks better than every, every single one of those guys that we've just mentioned, I think. He makes the right decision. He gets past people deceptively. And there's, that's what Dave Rennie spoke about yesterday, his deceptive pace. So oh, I think, you know, and the other option is the, be- the better fullback, I think, in Japan at the moment, or he can play 10 at 2, is Isaac Lucas. He- he's a better, I think, player than Tom Banks. Unfortunately, he's not going to be considered because of his decision to leave Australian rugby in 2020 when he was just breaking through. But I think that's the reality of it and the hold hard facts. So huge decisions to go ahead for the Wallabies there. And and hopefully, as Dave said, hopefully the players answer those questions over the coming months.
0: Yeah. Uh, won't be a surprise to see Jock Campbell uh, in the 15 jersey, uh, perhaps not in the first test, but uh, certainly uh, in one of those two games in Argentina. So one, uh, one key selection there to keep your eyes open. Uh, mate, before we wrap it up this week, uh, it would be um, remiss of us not to mention uh, Eddie Jones and give him a final Pat on the back uh, for his, uh, his win down under a second series triumph and a bit of news or a bit of uh, rumour and innuendo, I guess, out there in the media since then, uh, linking him with a return to Australian rugby uh, post-2023. Now, this is not a new story. This is, this has been out there for a little while now. He um, There was some inquiries made, I believe, after 2019 um, when Eddie was always going to stick around. With England. Uh, he's come out since and said, uh, no, nah, I've, I've really got no interest in that. I'm still uh, feeling the hurt of uh, all those years, uh, being burned all those years ago and apparently seeing how full, far rugby's fallen in this country. Um, now, I don't know, maybe you didn't see that the ratings on, on Saturday night were pretty solid. And as far as I could see, it was a sell at the SCG. So it's perhaps not as doom and gloom as it was maybe um, a couple of years ago, Ed, uh, but then also, obviously, being spoken to like he was uh, by the crowd, which we mentioned on Monday, being called a traitor. Um, I guess, really narky comments from members of, uh, of the Australian crowd there, which we condemned at the time as, as being pretty ordinary. Um, I mean, how do you see this? How do you read this situation, Christy? Do you feel that uh, Eddie has uh, completely... You know uh removed any chance in, in his mind that he'll return to Australian rugby or is it just another episode of the Eddie Jones show?
1: I think it's just uh, another Eddie Jones show absolutely I think you know from conversations that I've had with various officials uh those you know the the, uh, the welcoming Matt the idea to welcome him home in a, in twenty four is absolutely for real that's they're genuine um and my understanding is that Eddie Jones is open to that um, and that there's, you know, there's always been that idea that he wants to win the world cup with the Wallabies. Um, I don't think he even particularly likes the English media. Let's be honest. They call through his head every second week too. So I think that Eddie Jones is trying to play this a little bit, you know, clearly the rugby, the RFU boss, Bill Sweeney has spoken overnight too. And he's, um, yeah, he's, Eddie Jones is going to be there through until next year's World Cup. But post that, I can't see him going to a club team. He's a guy that loves rugby, that lives and breathes, sleeps, and eats rugby. That's all you know. It's pretty much all he knows. I, 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 I can see him coming back in 24. Absolutely, you know, you know, if it wasn't to be a head coach. His next preference would be director of rugby. I think it works perfectly. Whether or not, you know, if something happens then in the interim and things don't go to plan with the head coach in 24 or 25, Betty Jones could quite easily come in at 26, 27 and coach the Wallabies 24 years later to a second shape. Be a hell of a story. Heck of a story. I can see it happening. And from what you know, I had a couple of text messages from past players and past players that have every, every reason not to like Eddie Jones but said how good would it be to have Eddie back in RA in, in, in Aussie rugby and I can see that happening, absolutely. So he, he's a guy that would make the big decisions. He knows the landscape well. Um, you know, It would be interesting having called for three teams or having said that Australian rugby was best with three teams in the past. It would be interesting to see how you'd operate with five teams but... I think he he certainly um, uh, he's always got a soft spot not not just for Randwick rugby but for
0: Australian rugby. So
1: um, yeah, many many more storylines on that one to come. I dare say.
0: He might well call for the replacement of the Force or Rebels with the uh, with Randwick themselves. Actually, uh, yeah. Randwick go professionals such as his love for the club there at Coogee Oval. Uh, all right, mate, that uh, feels like a pretty good way to wrap up this week. Uh, you enjoy your weekend in Melbourne. Uh, I'm off to sun myself in Fiji for a few days. So, uh, yeah, yeah, a few pina coladas on the way. Uh, can't wait for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, great response this week on social media. Thanks, guys, for getting in touch. Uh, we love doing these. The last few weeks, it's been an enthralling uh, series against England. Um, it, uh, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll rip back in ahead of the rugby championship in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, Christy. Cheers.